Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service this morning. <clears throat> when uh, Kim and I pick the songs, we do, now that we have youth again, we pick the songs together on Friday night, um, and then we have practice after youth, so we have a rocking good time on Friday nights. <laughs> but we decided to do a very challenging theme, and we're doing the story of the Bible from beginning to end in six songs. So we'll see if you follow along with our thought pattern, but we're going to stand and sing Creation Sings the Father's Song together. Birth pains of a coming age. 
Thank you. 
Hallelujah for the cross. I apologize that you have to sing these three songs with masks on, <laughs> and they all take a lot of air. But the reason that we can say glorious day is because Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and he paid the price for us. And so when we believe in his name, one day it's going to be a glorious day when we all meet again in heaven. Welcome to our service this morning. <clears throat> when uh, Kem and I pick the songs, we do, now that we have youth again, we pick the songs together on Friday night, um, and then we have practice after youth, so we have a rocking good time on Friday nights. <laughs> but we decided to do a very challenging theme, and we're doing the story of the Bible from beginning to end in six songs. So... We'll see if you follow along with our thought pattern, but we're going to stand and sing Creation Sings the Father's Song together. of snow, his breath upon the 
gazed upon his face. The ageless one in time's embrace unveiled the Father's plan of reconciling God to man. A second Adam walked the life would break the curse, whose death would set us free to live with him eternally.
sanctified freely forever. One day he's coming, oh glorious day, oh glorious day. One day the grave good can seal him no Hallelujah for the cross. I apologize that you have to sing these three songs with masks on, <laughs> and they all take a lot of air. But the reason that we can say Glorious Day is because Jesus died for our sins on the cross, and he paid the price for us. And so when we believe in his name, one day it's going to be a glorious day when we all meet again in heaven.
Could never save my debts too great for deeds to pay. But God, my Savior, made a way. Hallelujah for the cross. A slave to sin, my life was bound. But all my chains fell to the ground when Jesus' blood came flowing down. Well, good morning, everyone. That was pretty pitiful. Good morning, everyone. Thank you. Welcome to our service this morning, this beautiful Sunday, October 17th. Uh, yes, a couple of good songs, Bonnie. Halla, hallelujah is right for the cross. And, uh, and glorious day when he comes back. You know, you, you look outside or you wake up this morning and you think, what a, what a glorious fall day. And it is. But... How, how pale in comparison that will be the, the day when our Lord and Savior returns. Anyways, if you could all just follow along and read with me the call to worship this morning in your bulletin. It's from Psalm 147. And we'll just all read it together. Praise the Lord, for it is good to sing praises to our God. For it is pleasant, and praise is becoming. Amen. Just bow with me in prayer this morning. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you that we can uh, gather freely here as a congregation to, uh, to worship you and, and to praise you and to, uh, and to listen to uh, the message that you have prepared for us this morning. Uh, we think of those who are not with us today and just pray that you be with them and uh, and uh, help them to have a, a glorious day today as well. And so we just want to uh, 
want to hand this service over to you, Lord, and uh, thank you again for all you've all you bless us with, and uh, and uh, just everything you do for us, Lord. In your name, we pray. Amen. Okay, there will be no scripture reading this morning. It sounds like uh, it's a pretty long uh, chapter, I guess, that uh, Mr. Plews is going to share with us this morning. So we will just turn it right over to him. Uh, yeah, so it's a real treat. Uh, although we're going to miss Pastor Glenn's message, it's it's a real treat sometimes to uh, to get a fresh perspective from someone else. So we'll just uh, hand it over to uh, to Ross here this morning and look forward to uh, his message. Thank you. That's good to be here again today. Um, always appreciate the nice little drive out from Lloyd to here. Uh, those of you that uh, I don't recognize this morning, haven't met you before. My name is Ross. I'm from Lloydminster. And uh, I have a private uh, counseling practice there. But I also uh, love to open the word of the Lord uh, when I can as well. I was in, uh, last week I was in Provost and uh, had a nice drive there and delivered the word there, which was enjoyable. How many of you have heard of the book Gulliver's Travels? Good. Good number of you. How many of you have actually read Gulliver's Travels? Okay. <laughs> Not as many, but a few. Um, in chapter one, A Voyage to Lilliput, the story goes on to say that uh, he was involved in a shipwreck. So they'd been on a journey. He's involved in a shipwreck. He's uh, swimming, trying to stay alive. And uh, finally, after many, many hours, he feels like he's not going to make it anymore because his feet wouldn't touch the, the bottom of the, of the ocean. And then all of a sudden, he could touch the bottom, and so that saved his life, and he began to walk. And he walked quite a distance. Um, and then I want to pick up from there and just read you a portion of that uh, story. He said, I then advanced forward near half a mile but could not discover any sign of houses or inhabitants. At least I was in so weak a condition that I did not observe them. I was extremely tired, and with that and the heat of the weather, I found myself much inclined to sleep. I lay down on the grass, which was very short and soft, where I slept sounder than I ever remember to have done in my life, and as I reckoned, about nine hours, for when I awakened, it was just daylight." I attempted to rise, but was not able to stir, for as I happened to lie on my back, I found my arms and legs were strongly fashioned on each side of the, to the ground, and my hair, which was long and thick, tied down in the same manner. I likewise, likewise felt several slender ligatures across my body, from my armpits to my thighs. I could only look upwards. The sun began to grow hot, and the light offended my eyes. I heard a confused noise about me, but in the posture I lay, I could see nothing except the sky. Here's this fella who's been on a journey. He suffered shipwreck, thought he was going to die, ended up sleeping on some ground, only to awaken to be tied thoroughly down with many little ropes and strings, or ties, or we call them, I guess, from his perspective. But that wasn't all. When he was able to look around, what did he see? Tiny little people, the size of pens. And so here we have the story that then begins to unfold from there, and it's a fantastic story. He thought he was dreaming. He closed his eyes. He opened them again, and there they were, all those little people that had tied him down and surrounded him and were capturing him, so to speak. And so that's the story about this giant going into the land of the little people. 
But I'd like to twist it a little bit and ask this question. What was it like for the little people to have a giant come into their life? It must have been a scary thing for them. They woke up and found the biggest human being they'd ever seen in their life. I'm sure they were scared. And so I want to pick up a little bit on that storyline and bring us into the scripture, of course. But I want to talk about giants today and how giants sometimes come into our life. And how we really do battle giants across every path that we turn in our Christian ex existence. And of course, I'm not talking about literal flesh-bearing giants. I'm talking about the giants that are uh, uh, threatening our daily walk with God, threatening our relationships with others, and indeed threatening our own uh, self-esteem, etc. I call them giants, and really our goal as believers is to get rid of the giants in our life. You see, defeating giants is really imperative, a part of discipleship and a normal part of our Christian experience. And the scriptures do talk about giants. We look to the scriptures in Genesis 6-4, we hear of the Nephilim. It says the Nephilim were on the earth in those days. They were huge human beings. Numbers 13-33, again it says, When we saw the Nephilim, we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. There were also what's called the Anakim. They were descendants of the Nephilim, but they were said to have lived in the southern part of the land of Canaan near Hebron, and they were known for their huge size. The Bible also speaks of the Rephaites. Deuteronomy 3.11, it says, Only Og, king of Basham, was left of the remnant of the Rephaites. His bed was made of iron. Now listen to this. It was 13 feet long, 6 feet wide. That's a pretty big dude, don't you think? Genesis 14.5 says, In the 14th year, um, there were the Rephaites. There's still two more. The Eman, in Deuteronomy 2.11, it says the Eman formerly lived there, a people great and many as tall as the Anakim. And then Deuteronomy 2.20, the Zamzuman, they too were considered to be descendants of the Rephites, and they were huge. Now, when we think about giants, I don't think we have a good concept of what a giant really means to us. We have these fairy tale stories of giants. So I just pulled a couple of examples from modern day giants. If we could throw them up on the screen this morning. I'll give you an idea. The first one here, this is um, from the Guinness Book, World, Guinness Book of World Records, and his name is Robert Wadlow. He reached a height of 8 feet 11 inches at 22 years old. He weighed 439 pounds, and that, the good news is he had lost some weight. He was 491 pounds before he started his diet. And he died at the age of 22 from a foot blister. It took 12 men to carry his 1,000-pound casket, eight more to assist, and one, uh, pardon me, 40,000 people who signed his register. He was a little bit of a, a notary in that day. Here's another one, Edward Beaupere Willow from Willow Bunch, Saskatchewan. Uh, at nine years old, he was six feet tall. At 17 years old, he was 7.1. In 1902, he was 8. 0.25, and he weighed 396 pounds. Again, he was a rather big boy, wouldn't you say? Um, then there's also this fellow, I'm not even going to try and pronounce his name, Johan, uh, whatever his last name there is. He was also uh, quite a big fellow, uh, as you can see there. And, and uh, with this light, it might just take away the power of those images. But you get the idea, right? We have had giants in our time that we would refer to as giants. Also from China, the tallest woman in medical history. 
uh, eight feet, one and three quarter inches. At three years old, she was five and a half inches tall. Quite the toddler in the school system, I imagine. Her hands were 10 inches in diameter. Her foot was size 14. Sandy Ellen, the Thomas, tallest living woman born in 1955, weighed six and a half pounds at birth, but at age 10 was six foot three inches. At age 16 was seven one. In 1974, she was seven five, 15, uh, five sixteenths inches and was still growing. And uh, she had lost some weight. She weighed 421 pounds from 462. 1977, she had an operation on the pituitary gland to inhibit her growth. Her shoe size was 16 triple E, if you know what that means. Now, ladies, also some men too, I guess. She used six yards of material to make a dress. That sounds like a lot of material. I wouldn't know, but it sounds like a lot of material. So here we have this concept of giants that actually are real, and we would refer to them as giant people living in the world uh, that we live in today. So let's come to the scripture now, and let's talk about one particular giant, and that's the giant that came up against the nation of Israel. So I'm going to be in 1 Samuel 17, and I am going to read uh, that whole 50 verses. Now I contemplated this, and I said, should I really do that? It's going to take us a little time. The congregation won't be happy with me, but then I told myself, well, I'm just a guest speaker. What are they going to do, fire me? So we'll read those 50 verses, because I really want to put it in context of what's happening in our storyline this morning. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, and they were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah, and they camped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damin. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with the valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath whose height was six cubits in a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head. He was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin slung between his shoulders. And the shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield carrier also walked before him. And I'll give you those in our own uh, measurements in a while. And he stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw in battle array? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But I will prevail against him and kill him, and then you shall become the servants and serve us. Verse 10, again the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of an Ephronite of Bethlehem in Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and Jesse was old in, days of, of the Saul, old in the days of Saul, advanced in years among men. And the three older sons, Jesse, had gone after Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons who went into battle were Eliab, the firstborn. The second to him was Abendab, and the third Shemah. And David was the youngest. Now the three oldest followed Saul, but David was back and f went back and forth from Saul and his father's flock at Bethlehem. Verse 16. 
And the Philistine came forward morning and evening for 40 days and took his stand. Then Jesse said to David his son, Take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also these ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news to me. For Saul and they and all the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with his keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array shouting the war cry. And Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in care of the keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to keep, greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these same words and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. Verse 26, Then David spoke to the men who were standing with him, saying, What will be done to the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the approach from Israel? For though... For who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in accord with his words, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard what he spoke to the men and said in anger uh, against David, Why have you come down and what? why have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence, the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, what have I said? I'm just asking a question. And then he turned away from him to another and said the same thing. And the people answered the same thing as before. Verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told him to Saul and sent for him. And David sent to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock. I went after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by the beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garment and put a bronze helmet on his head and clothed him with armor. And David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Verse 40. And he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. 
Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Then the Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give you your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your hand from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the armies of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, and that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Verse 47. And that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into your, our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine arose and came over and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put, in his, hand his, put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it, and it struck the Philistine on his forehead, and the, Philist, and the stone sunk into his forehead so that he fell onto the face of the ground. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. What a story. This is a story that's told over and over and over again. And the kids in Sunday school know this story. Uh, it's a story of David versus Goliath. And, and it's interesting, even secular society uses this story to talk about the, you know, the, the individual coming up against the big corporations, etc., etc. And they use the term, a David, David against a Goliath. But let's look at this a little bit closer here. What was this Philistine really like? Well, it tells us here that he was approximately 10 feet tall. So that's a pretty big guy. It says that his uh, armor weighed about 125 to 160 pounds. Now, I worked in the uh, police system for a little bit as a, a volunteer member, an auxiliary member, and I had to wear a, a belt with all kinds of tools on it and a heavy vest and so on, and that was really, you know, hard sometimes to run around. This guy had about 160 pounds of weight on him, so he, again, he's a big guy. The shaft of his spear was so big that he didn't carry it in his hand like this, he put it on his shoulder kind of like one of those major weapons in the army where they put it on their shoulder. Um, who would really stand up against this guy? He's a big dude. Uh, people were running from him, but David had a different perspective, you see. And David, even though he was taunted by his own brothers as being an arrogant, self-centered person, he stood up for the nation of Israel, and he faced this giant head-on, and that's what we want to look about today is what do we do with the giants that are in our life? I want you to think for a moment just yourself. What kind of giants are standing up against you right now in your life? What kind of giants are taunting you, demanding that you give in, that you rest in fear, that you run? Many, many different parts. So we're going to see two things today and then I'm going to break them down. We're going to see how to define the giants in my life. And secondly, how to defeat the giants in my life. And in order to do that, I'll break it down and give you some minor points underneath each one. So define the giants in my life. 
Here's what one Bible commentator says. He says, everyone has giants in their life. With their swords drawn, these giants back you into a corner, depriving you of courage, destroying your joy of living, and frightening you out of your spiritual experience and inheritance. I like that. Frightening us out of our spiritual inheritance that God has given us. And he even goes on to list a whole bunch of these giants, which we won't really go into today, maybe a couple of them. But he says discouragement, gossip, inferiority complex, loneliness, sickness, feeling unloved, disappointment in love, fear, guilt, jealousy, misunderstandings, temper, busyness, anxiety, anger. The list could go on and on and on describing what kind of giants could come up against us. But I want to tell you about three specific types of giants that I think we battle. So as we define the giants in our life, number one, a giant is anything that dishonors God. Secondly, it's anything that stands in the way of God's progress and our progress. And number three, a giant is anything that's too big to handle. So let's look at those. A giant is anything that dishonors God. Verses 1 to 12. In verse 26... He says, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David obviously had a passionate relationship with God. He was saying, God, how can this man speak this way against you and your goodness? I had a seminary professor who used to tell stories of when a different um, cult would come to his door and he would always challenge them saying, you know, you can't talk about my God that way. Or if somebody he was working with when he wasn't uh, in the ministry was using the Lord's name in vain, he would say, you, you shouldn't talk about my Lord that way. And so he was very courageous in that sense. It's a giant that was dishonoring God in this particular case. The, 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 the giant stood up and said, I defy your God. I challenge your God. And as we look at the scriptures, how many times has that always been a winner? When somebody says, I challenge your God. Uh, it doesn't work, but people still do it. Well, in this count, we see two main things that are dishonoring to God. Fear and unbelief. So verse 11, he says, they were afraid and greatly dismayed. Verse 24 says, when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. So fear and unbelief is a common obstacle in the path of our lives as we walk the Christian walk. Now Goliath was truly a giant, but really their fear and unbelief was a greater giant, I think. It stopped them from seeing the majesty of God and the power of God at work in their life. Often fear and unbelief become a part of our life and we could call them the giants that keep us from following God's perfect will in our life. Where we say, I can't solve this. I can't do it. I can't do it. It's impossible. It won't work. Or my favorite one is, but we've never done it that way before. <laughs> giants of fear that immobilize us. Verse 24 and 11, 11 and 24, pardon me, says, When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. And they shut down. It immobilized them. It stopped them from seeing the victory that God was about to give them. And it took this little um, shepherd 
to come along and show them the great and mighty hand of God. What fear and it really does in our life is it really immobilizes us. You know, like when our, when our sympathetic nervous system kicks into our body, we go into fight or flight mode. And when fear comes in, what do we do? We either fight, fear, or freeze. And that's what's happening here to these people. They, they were so scared that their sympathetic nervous system kicked in and they were freezing. There was so much fear there. I remember when I was just a, a baby Christian. I'd just become a new Christian at the age of 19 uh, in the Rosetown Alliance Church. And my pastor was discipling me. And uh, I, I tell you, I had such a, a passion to grow that he gave me a key to the church so that I could go and spend my lunch hours there and just read the Bible and pray and do whatever I wanted to do. And that was really great. I felt really honored by him to do that. But there was a problem for me. It was a little old church. And it had a, a staircase going down into the basement that was always pitch black dark until you turned the light on at the bottom of the stairs. And every time I would go down there, I had this intense fear that would come over me of the dark. Sounds silly at the age of 19, but it was real. And it was like my hair would stand up on the back of my head. So I shared this with my pastor one day. And he prayed with me and we just asked God to deliver me from this fear. But the next day when I went to go down the basement... He had put a sign up just above on a little uh, ledge going downstairs that said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and sound discipline. That changed my life. At that moment in time, I claimed the victory in Christ. And if it was some sort of a demonic attack or whatever it was, I challenged it and he set me free from that fear. You see, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Sometimes we don't have faith because we're fearful, and we're fearful because we can't see the end. And that's kind of the cycle that we go on. I can't see the end, so I'm scared, and therefore I'm not able to do what God wants me to do. But faith believes in something you cannot see. Some of you are at the age where you will remember Archie Bunker Archie Bunker used to say a definition of faith was something that no one in their right mind would believe in. He was maybe closer to our Christian belief than he knew. Now, there's another giant besides fear. And uh, what was the other one? Fear and my mind uh, went blank here. Unbelief. <laughs> and that's disobedience. Look at verse 18 of chapter 15. I want to take you back prior to this incident. And it's the Lord um, who sent... Um, the people on a mission. The Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. But they didn't do that. They disobeyed the word of the Lord. And then they came back, and, and here's what we read in verse 19. Why then did you not obey the, verse of the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? And then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on this mission on which the Lord sent me, and I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've destroyed all the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil and the sheep and the ox and the choices of the things devoted to destruction to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said this, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than sacrifice. I don't know if that rat rattles around in your brain, but the whole Old Testament was built upon this concept of sacrifice. What? 
He's saying that to obey is better than sacrifice. Some very powerful words Saul needed to hear. So a giant is anything that dishonors God. Fear, unbelief, and disobedience are those prime candidates. So slow it down for you this morning. What are some of the fears that you have in your life today? What's stopping you from standing up against the giants that are in your life? What unbelief has entered your heart and your mind today that you need to challenge? You know, we have in, uh, in therapy, clinical therapy, we have a process where we have to change negative thought patterns to positive thought patterns in order to have more success in our thinking. It's no different here. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul says we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ and we are destroying speculation and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We're changing those thought patterns. We're challenging those unbelief patterns. We're challenging those fear patterns. And we're quoting scriptures in our mind like, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But secondly, not only is a giant something that dishonors God, it's a, something that stands in the way of progress. Now, we've already talked about unbelief and, and disobedience, and they definitely stand in the way of God. But what about our attitude? What about our attitudes about change? What about our attitudes related to the things in our life that we're being asked to do and we don't like? It's uncomfortable. It's out of our safety zone. We don't want to do it. What about that? Is that possibly a giant that's standing up in the way of progress? In verse 26, David asked the man standing near him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of God? This giant was casting reproach upon the nation of Israel. He was challenging the reputation of a God who was at work in the nation. And for Israel to progress... Goliath had to be taken care of. And I'm so glad that God had a man for the hour. God often has men for the hour, but he has women too. But in this case, it's a man for the hour. And I can almost hear the people with the giant standing before them. Hey, things aren't as bad as we think they are. Let's just leave things alone. You know, let's just keep the status quo. Let the Philistines have what they want. You know, we'll, we'll be okay. I don't think it's necessary doesn't work that way. They were being challenged. So unbelief, disobedience, but it could also be your attitude that's standing in the way. It could also be a lack of faith. I remember, again, back to my days in Rosetown, when I was just a new Christian, we were excited because God was blessing us. We were growing. Uh, we had a building program going. We were raising funds to build a new church. And when we finally came to the point where we were ready to go, our bank account was ready to go, we had to sell our old church building in order to have enough funds to kickstart that new building. So we put the church up for sale. And there was lots of argument amongst people in the church. Well, if you sell a church, you've got to sell it to another church because we don't want that building being used by secular organizations and so on and so on and so on. And there was lots of discussion back and forth. But they, they finally were able to come to a consensus that, no, we'll sell the church. We'll let God decide who gets the church. But time went on and on and on, and the church wasn't selling. And the pastor and the elders were praying, asking God, why isn't this selling? We believe it's your will. 
And God gave one of the elders a word saying, because you don't have faith that I am able to sell it. So the pastor on the Sunday said to the congregation, if my recollection is true, what we need to do is we need to kill this giant of unbelief. After the service today, we're going to go and walk around the church building until we have a sense that God is going to do the work. Now, this must have been a crazy sight for a small town, Rosetown. To have a congregation of 100, 150 people or whatever it was, I can't remember, walking around this 30-foot building, praying that God would release the building, that God would release it. And you know what? It was within a short time after that experience that that building sold to a local karate club, which uh, was actually a good use for it. The floors were all wooden and everything. So you see, a giant could be part of our attitude, how we look at things. And that flows out of our fears, etc. The third thing is a giant is anything that is too big to handle. So look at Saul here, what he said to David in verse 33. He said, you're not able to go against this Philistine. You're just a youth. Why, he's been a warrior all the days from his youth. So here we have again, too big to handle. You're just a little guy. You can't do this. The job's way too big for you. This is a momentous task. We need somebody more trained in army, etc. And you'll admit that from human standards, Goliath was too big to handle. Why were people running from him? They were scared. He was big. And I'm sure that David had to look way up into his face. <laughs> some of you won't know this. I just turned 65, so some of these nostalgic memories are coming back. Uh, do you remember the, the giant and Rusty? What was that show called? Friendly giant. Friendly giant. Remember what he used to say to Rusty? He'd say, let's look up, way up. That's exactly what was happening to David, I think. He was looking way up at this giant. But it was a project that he knew with God's help, he could defeat the giant. And often, you know, in our life, there are things that seem too big to handle. Where there's not enough knowledge to teach that class. I remember one time pastor was preaching and we needed a, a, a college and career teacher for our adult, or for our college and career Bible, uh, Sunday school, pardon me. And uh, he, for Sunday after Sunday, he was asking for people. And every Sunday sitting there in my heart of hearts, I was a new Christian. And I said to myself, well, I can't do it. I, I, don't, I don't have any training. I, I'm just a photographer. I, what am I going to do teaching the Bible? To, you know, da, 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 da. And God kept putting on my heart, putting on my heart, that it wasn't as big as I thought it was. And so I volunteered. I said, you know what? I think God is saying to me, I'm supposed to do this. And thank God that no one said to me, oh, you're too new of a Christian, you can't do this. Rather, what they did, they said, we'll come alongside of you and we'll train you and we'll help you become the best you can be teaching this class. That's what I needed. I needed a change of perspective. Something that was so big for me to handle, God showed me that I could do it. Now, also, I'll tell you this in my testimony. I don't share this often, but... It's appropriate here. When I believed that God was calling me to full-time ministry, and in particular, God had laid a heart on my mind to go to the Chinese world. I really struggled with that because I, I you know, when I was in grade 8, my teacher told my parents, if he leaves the school, we'll give him his grade 8. If he comes back, he has to do it again. And that would have been the second time round. So I left home at 15 with a grade 8 education. And... Uh, God began to work in my heart without me knowing it because I wasn't a believer yet. But I decided I needed to clean that up. And so I went to an upgrading 
class at Kelsey Institute in Saskatoon and did my grade 10 and, and so on. And then just got on with my life. But when I became a Christian, the passion was even stronger to clean up that giant that was in my life of not having my grade 12. So I applied to Bible school and got a letter back from the Bible school saying, sorry, people with a score as low as yours really aren't going to make it. And I was rejected. And I said, what? It was something that was too big for me to handle. Good news, my pastor knew the potential in my life, and he sent a letter to them, said, give him a chance, I'll, I'll vouch for him, he's growing like crazy, Christ is at work in his heart, I think he could do it. So they put me on probation, and long story short, I graduated, and after I graduated, went into ministry, and then came back uh, to seminary to work on a master's degree, and when I graduated with my master's degree, I said, I still haven't got my grade 12. So I went back and finished my grade 12. I got rid of that in my closet because it was too big to handle at the time, but I did it. And then I went on and many, many years later did a doctorate degree. So I proved through the strength of Christ in me that he can do anything he wants to do with a vessel that's open to him doing it. Amen? That's the same for you today. What giant is too big for you to handle? Well, with Christ you can do it. So let's end up now with the final big point, defeat the giants in my life. We've seen how to define them and what they are. Now let's talk about how do we defeat those giants. All right, I've got four little points under that. David knew that Israel was going to be victorious. He knew it in his heart. He had faith to believe it. And he dared to stand up against the giant, against all odds. And if he were here today, I think this is what he would tell us. He would say, don't depend on yourself. Depend on God. And I'll put it in the context of the Holy Spirit. You have to depend upon the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is sent to us to teach us, to guide us. And that's what he does. And did you notice in verse 38 and 39 that David put on all the armor. And then he realized, I can't fight with these human tools. And he took them off and he fought in the name of the Lord. Psalm 51, 10 calls us to come back to the Lord with a clean heart. He says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 51, 11, he says, do not cast me away from your presence. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Acts 1, 8, in the jumping way over into the New Testament, he says, but you will see, receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And it's in the context of being able to witness effectively for Christ. Galatians 5.16 say, says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you won't carry out the desires of your flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For those are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. The power of the Holy Spirit in our life is a dynamite. In fact, that's what it, the Greek word in that context of Acts 1.8 is dunamis. Power, dynamite. And so if we walk in the Spirit, we will destroy the giants. So what's it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, when I came to Christ, I received all of God's Holy Spirit. I can't get any more of him because he's a person. I can't chop him up. When I received Christ, I received all of the Holy Spirit. But here's the paradigm shift. Does the Holy Spirit have all of me? And this is where spiritual breathing comes in. I exhale the sin in my life and I inhale the forgiveness of Christ. And I'm filled afresh in that area where I was once sinning. And we do this every day. The Bible says, don't get drunk with wine. That's a waste. 
Be filled. That's in the ongoing tense. Keep on being filled. Every day we keep being filled with the Spirit where we say, Lord, show me where this part of my life is not walking with you. I confess it. I get rid of it. You cleanse me. You fill me. Now I have more power in that area of my life than I had before. That's what it's all about. So it's walking in the spirit that will help you destroy the giants. And I could say so much more on that, but we'll move on. Number two, disregard negative counsel. Verse 33, what did the king say to David? You can't do it. It won't work. And we have those negative voices in our life often that tell us you can't do it, it won't work. But we need to remind ourselves that we can do all things through God who strengthens me, through Christ who strengthens me from Philippians 4, 13. The world is full of negative counsel. The spirit wants us to do something. The negative voice comes and takes away. It snatches away that attempt, that faith that we need. Proverbs eleven fourteen says, For the lack of guidance a nation falls, but many advisors make victory a success. So we need to make sure we have some really good counselors in our life. But let's be careful. We want to make sure they're the right kind of counselors. I don't mean clinical counselors. I mean, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ who come alongside of us and encourage us and help us to be who we're supposed to be. Whenever I'm looking to understand God's will, I follow four W's. Again, I don't have much time here. There's a sermon within a sermon. But it's basically, what's the word of God say? What's the wooing of the Holy Spirit say? What's the wisdom of mature Christians telling me? And what's the way of circumstances telling me? And the way of circumstances is always last. Because it can trick us. I can remember one time our church was really growing. And God was doing a marvelous work. And we had some real key leadership people in the church. And all of a sudden, they were leaving the church. And we, we were wondering, why? You're so good here. You're so happy here. You have a great ministry here. And it turns out that that was a trick of the enemy. He was trying to get them out of the church because they were having such good success. He'll do that sometimes. So be careful of the counsel that you're receiving. And then for, thirdly, draw inspiration from your past victories. Again, I'm hurrying along here. I know this is a long sermon today. Verse 34 to 36, David said to Saul, and then he began to describe what he had done. He said, I've been keeping father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came, I took care of it. Let's paraphrase it that way. Bold, strong, courageous. He took care of it. And all he was doing was recalling how God had been at work. And we need to do that a lot. We need to go back and look at the victories that God has given us. Not to repeat them per se, because we may have to do it a different way. But to just remember how God did work. It just, just in passing, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. And then fourthly, do what you can do and trust God for the rest. So here's what we find in verses 44 to 45. Come here, he said, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. But David said to the Philistine back, he said, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. So David could only do what David could do. He was just a shepherd boy with a sling and a rock. And David did what he could do. He swung earth, whipped that thing towards the giant. And from that point on, God did the rest. That rock hit the right place at the right time, with the right force, that it knocked that giant out and killed him. And David was able to show victory. The giant was destroyed. So, dear friends, as I wrap up this long message today, thank you for being patient and listening. 
But when we think about these giants, let me review really quickly. We need to define what they are. It's anything that dishonors God, anything that stands in the way of progress, and anything that's too big to handle. And then we need to defeat them by the power of the Holy Spirit, by disregarding negative counsel, by drawing inspiration from past victories, and then just doing what we can do, and we leave the rest to Almighty God. Amen? Amen. Thank you. What did I do with my mask? Found it. Let's stand and sing these final songs together. is going to speak about, but these last three songs can put them out, and I think they all work so well together with, um, with your message.
the power of darkness comes in like a flood. The battle belongs to the Lord. He's raised up the standard, the power of His blood. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory and honor, power and strength to the Lord. And we sing glory and honor, power and strength to the Lord. When your enemy presses in heart, do not fear. The battle belongs to the Lord. Take courage, my friend, your redemption is near. The battle belongs to the Lord. And we sing glory and honor, power and strength to the Lord. We sing glory and honor, power and strength to the Lord. Thank you for your singing. <laughs>